0: Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast, brought to you in part by GSM Outdoors, hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw. We bring country living and the great outdoors together.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Country Talk. Oh, we got a little bit of excitement happening down here in the southern world. Beamer, I don't guess he knows anything about it.
0: Well, I was gonna say that we are back again with Beamer from GSM but uh yeah, we were just talking about it a minute or so ago before you got on that uh you know, Hurricane Laura is, is building into a fine and oh, I know yeah. by the time this airs this will be after the fact, but yeah, she she looks like she's gonna be a, oh. a fancy one.
1: Yeah, hopefully when this airs it'll be man, we survived Laura with no problems. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And do you have a second one coming your way? Uh, not no, the I'm first one
0: got here Monday evening, Tuesday morning. Yeah. And it really wasn't what they were predicting it okay. to be. It kind of fizzled out as it got closer. But Laura is actually gaining speed and intensifying as she gets closer. So,
1: Yeah, fizzling out is nothing it's doing right now.
0: No, they're talking the, the last update I looked at about 30 minutes ago. She had already, she was a class four and they're talking about could possibly build to a class
2: five on one of the weather channels. So, well, we already started off the weather. So that shows how old we are. Okay, we got, so we
1: got that, we got that part out of the way.
2: <laughs> right, we're going to talk about down and out blinds from uh, hawk, hawkhunting.com. H-A-W-T. Oh, right. It, it's It's a new company that we've uh, recently acquired that, I would say recently it was last fall uh, it is probably one of the coolest blinds there is there, there are around for the simple fact that this is a portable, permanent blind and what I mean by that is you can not only set this thing up in a few minutes by yourself, but it will withstand everything that Mother Nature's got to offer. Maybe, maybe not your hurricane, I shouldn't say everything because your guys, you guys deal with a few different weather clouds than we do up here. So, but but it is, it's a really cool blind, and I've been doing a lot of filming in it the last couple of days. Uh, it it's very impressive.
1: And and Beamer, which which hawk is that? Because I know they got a couple, right? They got the panel blind, and then you talking about the uh, the the bigger um, the bigger one, right?
2: Or, or, but these are the down and out line of blinds. There's a uh, Five of them, I believe. You have a Scout, a Bunker, a Warrior, a Warrior XL, and an Octagon. Yeah. You have five models. Everything from a really small rifle blind up to the Behemoth Octagon, which we were filming, my brother and I were filming out of today. And it, I, I kid our company about it, but it actually holds a little truth. You know, if it is so big, the Octagon inside, it is like seven and a half, eight foot in diameter. Okay. So if you range an animal to 28.5 and you don't like to hold gaps or shoot gaps, you really can back up and shoot your 30 yard pin at this blind. So you can move a yard and a half and hit yeah. a 30 yard pin. Same thing if you were, you know, you range him and he's 21 to, you know, 21.5 from your 31.5, you could shoot forward a yard and a half and then shoot your 30 yard pin. But that's how big it is, but it's perfect. The, the blind that we're talking about, the octagon, it is absolutely perfect for three people. Maybe you want to take both your kids out with you. Maybe you want to take your neighbor and his son with you out and experience this. And you should be able to set it up, like I said, in a few minutes, but it's going to, it's going to withstand every, every bit of temperament that mother nature has to offer.
1: Well, I know with my experience with, with blinds, I'm not a person and I haven't had one of these. I've had, the, you know, I guess your traditional cloth type. Um, but and I'm not one of these people that uh that pick it up, set it back out, pick it up, set it back out. And uh, I've had one or two. I'd come back at the end of season to get it, and you know I may not have hunted in it for several weeks and come back, and it is not really in the shape that I left it. <laughs> it may be you know wadded up in the tree beside it or something like that. So something uh-huh. you you don't have to worry about would would be
2: rather convenient. Well, again, and I'm going to put a disclaimer, a footnote, an asterisk down here that, you know, you guys deal with some different uh, weather patterns than we do up here. We, you know, we get boatloads of snow. And one of the main problems with the hub-style blinds, you know, what I created, is that snow load. And it would pop the roof down, okay? Then you have this concave area. Snow just piles up on. Next thing you know, you got two, 300 pounds of snow, and it starts breaking all your fiberglass struts, you know, on your other hubs. This thing has steel steel struts that go across the peaked roof, so it's one of those things that you know it's going to handle snow load like like no other blind that you can set up in a couple of minutes. You know, it's not a hard side blind. It's not a, you know one of the muddy bulb blinds or you know something like that. This is a um, aluminum framed with 600 denier cloth. Uh, it's actually screwed to the framework. With a steel strut hub system, not steel it's a hub system, but a steel strut uh, roof that will not collapse under the snow load. So it's a very cool blind.
0: Well, Beamer, you know, like Jeremy was talking about, sometimes, you know, ours move on us. Is there, have y'all changed anything on the way that you stake it down? Is anything different that holds it to the ground better or secures it?
2: No, you know, what really needs to happen is everybody has to be cognizant of their own environment. You know, it's one of those things that they all come with these less than great stakes. And it's because we're trying to work to all the different variations of Earth. And you could take, you know, one of the neatest things in the South, you know, I went college down in southern Arkansas, those plastic tent stakes, you know, with the little hook knurl on the end are fantastic in that soft, boggy ground, or even an auger stake. But you're not going to be able to pound that in in Minnesota or Wisconsin in the winter. And you're you're darn sure not going to be able to hammer it in an antelope hunt in Wyoming. You know, in Wyoming, you're getting into those nail, landscape nails. And that's what you're going to pound in. You're actually going to pound them in with like a one or two pound sledge because it's hard rock ground. And there's no answer on the stakes. However, this, with its aluminum framework, square tubing, uh aluminum framework you're going to be able to do u- u-bolts and get get long ones hammer them in that's going to have two stakes right you got this u it's going into the ground it's a great way of holding it down especially in your softer terrain down there now if you put them on a platform think about that u-bolt again that u-bolt's going to be fantastic to drill through the plywood or on a metal mesh platform whatever and bolt it to it but again why don't we send it all with U-bolts is because once you get into Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, these colder states in the winter, or you go out west in a hard pan, pounding a U-bolt into the ground, you, you it would require Clark Kent.
0: You know, one of the problems we ran into in Kansas several years ago, you get 30, 40-mile-an-hour you know, consistent winds up there, especially during the spring, during turkey season was keeping it secured to the ground properly and you know they had the little metal stakes where we brought our own little blinds Well ours had the little metal you know looked Uh like a tent stake and no we had to we had to go and beef that up tremendously to be able to keep everything from from moving
2: yeah it's it it all depends on your terrain you're hunting and it depends on what time of the year and Kansas, Nebraska, uh, Kebrisca, any you know, right on the line there Nebraska, and anything like that, you know, you could have thirty, forty mile an hour winds and you can have wind gusts. And it's nice to be able to stake your blind off from the inside so that you can do it on the fly if the wind starts picking up, but it's also nice to stake it down on the outside and you can do that with this as well. And and if you're gonna be hunting in a state like that, and let's say you're out there for a five or ten day hunt or a four day hunt, and, and you want to leave that blind out there in that one location. Take that precaution. You know, it don't, don't necessarily go with the, the tiny little stakes. You know, you got this six, seven, eight hundred dollar blind. You got this four thousand dollar hunt. Uh, what's, what's spending, you know, seven more dollars at the Home Depot and getting those landscape, you know, railroad tie nails you know, or getting something like that that you, you know, when you put in the ground, your blind's going to be there in the morning. Very true. Very, very
0: true. Now, what, other than the framework on these blinds, what makes these blinds so good? What, what?
2: Every panel, the, the, one of the coolest things about it, and we were, we were videotaping it today, and I'm perfect for radio and not good for video because I'm not that attractive. So we had to refilm it and refilm it trying to get me out of the picture. But one of the things about the the panels on this, blind is it's an accordion blind okay If it, it folds all flat then it expands in accordion set, uh, style And depending on whether you have a warrior xl that has five or six panels or the octagon which has eight panels these panels each individual one is not only offset uh, from each other at an angle that ties together with the roof struts so that they stay at this angle but every one of them has a vertical window it's perfect for bow honey and then a more square or horizontal window right next to it, and that's perfect for gun hunting or crossbow hunting. And the neat thing about the horizontal one is is we have, you know, based it off of a normal chair with a normal human being, but it works perfect for a gun race. So you've got this blind that has shadow mesh one-way netting, uh, to look through it has black covers over is it. pitch dark inside now has two windows per panel. You know, one kind of specialized for archery and one specialized for gun hunting or crossbow hunting and you have a built in gun rest. So how cool is that? You know, now you can set your rifle up the window, get that muzzle out of the blind. You know, we own walkers. But a lot of people don't <laughs> fire their gun during gun season wearing hearing protection. And if you touch off in a blind with that muzzle in there, you know you really run the risk of in your hearing. So it's always nice to get that muzzle out. So when you do it in this blind here, you know now you've got this gun rest. Now you can put the forearm on, on this window uh, square tube that's right below the window, and you've got a perfect gun rest.
0: Now I like that a lot because I know that's one, you know. The little blinds that we use a lot, especially during turkey season, you need to bring a shooting stick to set up in front, especially for a you know a younger hunter or or beginning hunter for them to keep you know keep the gun pointed in the direction you want it, so when the turkey comes out, there's a lot, not a lot of movement, yep, but if I can do away with that, that makes that yeah, I like that a lot better.
1: well, it was like you know last year whenever I took my oldest son to Kentucky. We, we had to do the same thing. We were hunting out of a hub-style blind that, you know, he couldn't, you know, I may could rest my gun on the fabric and, and probably be okay, but, but he couldn't. But if we had had that to where we could lay the gun you know, on the blind itself, it'd have been a heck of a lot more convenient. And uh, you know, a lot of, he'd have had a lot more mobility. I think that way, um, you know, having something stable that was already there. And, and I think that would give us a, a lot better hunt, I, I think. Um, I, I could definitely see where that would be a
2: lot more convenient. Well, the, the nice thing is when you have a solid structure, a horizontal, you know, this is square tubing, right? And it, it's running horizontal under that. You know, you take that third dimension, that up and down plane out of it. Now, you could still put your scope on anything up and down just by tilting the gun back and forth. But you're not having somebody hold the gun up, and that is critical. Then it's so easy to pivot from left to right. You know, you can cover just a absolute amazing amount of terrain uh, just with one simple, uh, you know, axis holding this gun upright at that same height, and it, it is it's incredible for that.
1: Well, we were talking about bow hunting out of the blind and what. What are some of the pros to this blind with with bow hunting out of? Because I know I've tried bow hunting. I've never I've never shot a uh, shot a deer with, out of a out of a blind with a bow before, not on the ground. But uh, I try, I went to try it last year and uh, and had had some deer within range, but I could not for the life of me get my body positioned to where I could draw that bow back in that hub style blind. And I was not for one, my arrow was not going to hit the top whenever I went to our other side. Whenever I went to draw it, I, I just couldn't, couldn't make it work. And it well, seemed it, like, I, and it seemed like I made it work whenever I, I set it up out in the yard shooting the target. But in that certain, I guess maybe the way I was, I had to set because a deer walked. Yeah, a deer is not going to be, you know, where your target was in the yard. So, um, what what would be the differences here?
2: The the I call it poise for action. There's there's a video out there called Mastering the Art of Ground Blinds, and one of the categories in there is called poised for action. And Brooks and I always preach this in all of our seminars. Is when you are hunting a blind, you know, when you shoot your bow, you shoot across your body, right? You know, you're not shooting straight out in front of where you're facing. You know, right. you're shoot You're shooting down your right arm or your left arm. So that means if you're in a chair in a blind. You either have to be looking over your right or left shoulder, depending on what hand you are, but you have to either be set there looking over that, or you got to have a swivel chair that's quiet enough that you can turn and rotate your body to that 90 degrees, because if you try drawing your bow out in front of your body and pull back towards your chest or do any kind of different configuration or contortion uh, little system, you really are going to struggle getting your bow drawn. and. Nine times out of ten with all the outdoor riders, all the people that I've ever taken at a ground line, is if they're not poised for action, if they're not looking across their shoulder or, or set up that way when the time is coming, you know, and they've rotated their chair, they will never comfortably get drawn. And if you're sitting in a, in a swivel chair and you're watching animals come and now they're getting into that range – you're going to rotate your body 90 degrees one way or the other, just spin it if you're right or left handed. But now you're going to be able to lift your bow up and you're going to be able to draw across your body just like you would in the backyard. And it's, it's a lot easier. The neat thing about the down and out lines are, is they're, they're an angle base, right? So it's whether there's eight, you know, the eight is an octagon. So if you were looking straight down without the roof line, it's an octagon. You know, the, the Warrior XL has six panels in, in you know, so on and so forth. So these are angled configurations that set it up with your triangle or your point of the angle towards the back that have the two panels facing out in front. So when you draw your bow, your elbow is going into that back corner. Now you've got an extra four or five inches of room that you've never had over a style blind. And it, it's a lot easier to get dry. Now, when I was sitting in the octagon today, you're talking about a blind that's like 81 or 84 inches in diameter, something crazy uh, from, from angle to angle on the floor, that we could have three people in there comfortably. So you're going to be able to position yourself however you need. But a lot of the hub blinds are cut on a 60-inch by 60-inch piece of fabric, meaning that the floor is 5 by 5. Now they bow out where the hubs are, don't get me wrong. It's not 60 inches. But your elbow isn't where the hub is, if you're following me. We're not, you know, all sitting on a chair that, you know, our our elbows at 31 inches off the ground. We're sitting in a chair where our elbows are at, you know, 48 to 50 inches off the ground, our back elbow. And the hub is already on the way, or the fabric's already on the way back up the blind. So it cuts it down. This blind has these angles where you can set yourself up. Here's two windows or two walls positioned into your food plot or whatever you got and your elbow is going to be in a corner, and that's going to give you more room than you've ever had. And as long as we're not bumping our elbow or not hitting the, the bow on the top of the blind, we're going to find ourselves being able to draw a lot better. And one of the neat things about the blind is is it's a very peaked roof system. So here's your middle of the blind, and you've got you know, six and a half, seven feet to the top, so you're not going to smack your, your bow on the top, and you're not going to hit. You know, have to push your your arrow out the window to draw your bow, and then to be able to go left, and right. You're just able to draw inside the blind, and then make your um, make your adjustment as necessary without ever having anything break that plane at the outside. Well, it
1: sounds like in, in my situation, this would definitely be the blind that I need,
2: Beamer. <laughs> if, 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 if you're not running a gun, and gunning, you know the Hugdale blinds, and people misused them from the get-go. They've used them as a portable permanent blind that wouldn't last. You know, you can't leave that hub style blind out in mother nature up north here for an entire year straight without pulling it out of the field. It's a portable blind. But a lot of people did that. And a lot of people have seen them subjected to uh, inferior uh, camel printing techniques that turn a blind pink or blue. And or they dealt with fiberglass rods shatter and hubs collapse and so on and so forth. So ours was always a, a portable blind. This is a portable blind that one person can pull out of the back of the truck. You know, in my short box, GMC, I can put probably four octagons in there without ever really cresting up and above the bed. And uh, I, I know for a fact I can get three underneath my hard tonneau cover. So um, it tells you how how small these fold down, and they're ginormous. And it's one of those things that, you know, if you want to go out and put three or four of these up, one person can do it. it. Might take you two minutes, might take you five minutes, just depending on how proficient you are. But it's not like a half-hour project. And you're not putting piece after piece together. You, you've got two-piece struts that go together that cross across and peak across the the roof of this, and that's it. And once those struts are tied together and locked into the frame, well, now the angles can't change on the frame because you've got them. You've got them. Structurally anchored. And it really is. If if you're not going to move the blind much, if you're not running a gun and on a turkey that's gobbling over the next hill and you gotta fold the hub style blind up and take off after it, this is the answer. And this is the answer probably for ninety percent of most people that hunt from ground blinds. Because most people want to leave it out there.
0: Well
1: oh no doubt. I mean that was a uh... I mean, that was my deal. I mean, I hunt, I hunt our land. I have no reason to, you know, move around in different areas. And, and it was just the hub style blinds. I mean, they're great for the first, you know, two or three weeks you have it out. And then you come back and maybe a limb is falling on or something like that. And then you have, you know, possible tears or, you know, a broken rod or something like that on it. It just, it just doesn't fit that application that well. But this blind would because i have no reason to, you know move it around you know every other day or anything like that i pick a good spot out and that's where i want to leave it and and i think a lot of the deer hunters that i, that I know would like that application or, or have a blind for that application
2: well the, here, here's a great example now you guys run a lot of green food plots green um food plots we use a lot of you know, uh, un- unharvested soybeans and stuff like that. You know, of course early season, they're hitting the soybeans when they're green and they can actually mow. I mean, they can eat 10, 20, 30 yards of these as they move from the woods edge out to the center of the field. Well, here we are as an archer, you know, you're trying to keep everything 40 yards and under or 30 yards and under from you know, preferably. And it may be necessary to move your blind 5, 10, 15 yards just so that you stay in that zone, okay? And and it might be the same with a cornfield. You know, they could come through, and, and maybe your farmer left some corn up there, and, and they're hitting it, and they're eating these ears off the, the, the stalks and stuff like that, and they kind of eat that field out into the center more where you need to back the blind up. It is very nice to have a blind that you don't have to really worry about snow load or anything hitting it like that, but yet as one person or two people, extremely easy, just grab it and move it back 15 yards, and you know, you not have to fuss with it anymore. So, that, that's that portable, permanent uh trade off, you know. Or you could find that I mean, do you guys have a lot of soybeans down there where you guys are at? Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, not in this area a whole lot, not unless they're planted, you know, for deer.
2: No,
0: yeah. You get above Vicksburg, you know, around Vicksburg, middle of Mississippi, or yes, down where we're at, not really at all.
2: Gotcha. See, like up here, you know, we are corn and soybean area, and the soybeans are great early season. You know, when it, when it's um, really really lush and green, you can't keep deer out of there. I mean, they can eat, eat, eat. And then right after it freezes, there's like this transition period before they brown up. You know, fully brown up, they're kind of like an orange or like a die-off color. Uh, the deer just kind of avoid them. So. There, there might be a chance where you've had this blind sitting there and get hunting the green soybeans, and all of a sudden you get that snap of that cold freeze, and then everything starts to change, and they don't want to hit the soybeans, and they're going to start going to the corn now, or they're going to the acorns or whatever. It, it, it's nice to be able to, to fold that blind up by yourself, throw it in the back of your truck, move it 250, 300 yards, set it back up, and, and be able to do that. You know, so you do have like the simplicity of a hub-style blind, but you have the longevity and the durability of more of a permanent blind. Remember, one one other question
1: I got about the blind. If you happen to bump the side of it, how quiet is this blind? Because I know, you know, with having kids like I do, they're they're not being still. So a a blind is, is a great way to hunt with them but if they bump it over, heck, even me, I'm just as guilty about it as I'm moving around and bump side of it. How quiet is it?
2: Well, your your aluminum tubing, it, it, it's going to be a metallic sound. However, 99.9% of the wall is a 600 denier polyester fabric that's screwed onto the framework. So, nine times out of ten, you're going to hit fabric on this thing. And, of course, that's going to be dead quiet. The neat thing about this, again, is is they step up in size that is predominantly larger than any of the hub style blinds. You know, you get into the warrior and you look at this I guess that the you have your scout and your warrior. Then you got like your warrior XL and your octagon. Your warrior is bigger than a hub style. Your warrior XL is very large compared to a hub style blind. And your octagon is our gigantic one that is a, it's not it's not overbearing as far as big. It's just like super roomy and comfortable. When you get into that size, then you don't run the risk of always hitting the walls. You know, part of the problem, just like it sounds like with your five, your five hub blind, is it's neck down so tight with you that you run the risk of bumping anything um, or, or trying to get drawn or whatever. And and it's so such a tight enclosure that it, it's too tight for you. Then you add your kids into it. And somebody's going to hit the wall. You know, it, it's just one of those things. The, these blinds are designed to be left out there. They're not a, a 42 inch folded up in the case running gun hub style blind. These are blinds that you leave out there and they're easy to set up. They, they don't take but a second or two, you know, to put them up a minute or two, but it, it, the things, they, they provide so much more room. It's just, it's fascinating to, to sit at them
0: beamer bumping in here real quick the my stepson informed me last year that he was not built to be off the ground (laughs) his body type did not like ladders and he did not you know he just good lord did not make it where he needed to be off the ground so we have had to look at this year more ground blinds more you know ground box stands whatever we were going to do to be able to keep him to where he could hunt more and and still do what he wanted to do. Or we had to start looking at putting stairs on deer stands and it's like, dude, yeah, we're going to look at ground blind. So yeah, this is, this sounds like this will be optional for him or optimal because it allows the, the flexibility to move it easily. It allows the, you know, easy setup. It also, you know, enough room in it that if, if he's in there playing on a tablet or, we're not talking about, you know, the the most hardcore dedicated hunters here, as most kids aren't. So, you know, they're going to be moving. They're going to be doing other things other than paying attention. So it sounds like this would actually be be the right thing for it.
2: And, well, here's what's really cool. Uh, if you go on, I know this is a hawk. Hunting product, the down and out, uh, we have it under that brand. But if you go to our gomuddy.com, okay, for our muddy blinds, we have the deluxe towers. And these are towers that are designed that you can buy a platform for these down and outs, for the warrior, for the scout. And you can set these blinds on there and they're perfectly matched for it with this platform. But you have that super, uh, safe Know, ladder, handrail to climb up there and get into your blind. So you know, not only can you use you know the brackets to build your own platform, but the muddy deluxe towers work uh, with the down and out as long as you use one of our platforms. Well, yeah, I was
1: just about to ask, if if you were able to take this blind and get it off of the ground some type of way.
2: Yeah, and, and in fact, you can do it with even the, the octagon. You're just building yourself a bigger platform. You know, four by eight sheets of plywood are going to be pushed to the max, and you put two of them beside each other uh, on the octagon. But so for like the Warrior XL, the Warrior, the Scout, yeah, you betcha. You know, it's it's just you you've, you've got to understand that it's a angled uh, polygon, so to speak, and it's not just a simple square that, you know, always seems to fit nice on it, you know, with the hub style blinds and things like that, you know, here's five foot by five foot. It's pretty, you know, pretty easy to figure out. You know, these are, you know, done on hexagon or octagon uh, shapes. And, and it's a polygon that requires a little bit bigger platform. But on that same top, you bet, that's the whole purpose of the, hor- or, you know, there's a horizontal window like we talked about for the gunrest. But right next to them are these vertical windows. And the vertical windows provide the archer, you know, as much room left and right as an archer. It's very easy to move your bow left and right. But if you elevate these blinds, the vertical window is much longer and you're going to be able to make that close quarter shot, you know, 5, 10, 15 yards away from your elevated tower out of this blind without being busted. So it's a really cool blind. You
0: know, when you say that, that as a bow hunter, you know, always hunting out of a climbing stand or ladder stand, you have so much range of motion that I've noticed that when I have tried bow hunting out of of, a pop-up blind, you don't have the, I never have been able to have the same motion. You know, I couldn't lean down and around or. You know, so if, if I needed to take the shot on the back side of the tree, you know, is where I got the best shot. You know, I could maneuver around. But it sounds like with this, you've got so many options and windows that allow you different looks and different locations that you can move around and still be able to make the shot where you need to
2: make it at. Well, and you're, you're right back to that, you know, the pop up, the hub blinds. Like when Brooks and I started this whole industry, it, it wasn't to ever elevate this thing and it, it was to chase turkeys on the ground and then we were taught how to kill deer out of it on the ground you know when you start putting platforms up and you start building your own platforms or, or buying these platforms these prefab platforms and you throw on these five hub style blinds up most of the windows on a five hub style blind are designed for you to be on ground level shooting at 20 30 40 50 yards okay they're not designed necessarily to shoot downward so you take your normal hub style blind slap it up on a platform especially if you get into the 10 foot high and a deer that's close you may not be able to make that shot and that's where these down and outs with that that horizontal configuration for the gun hunter on one panel then you have the vertical configuration perfect for the archer on that same panel you know, running side by side these are two adjacent windows you you can you shoot your bow out of the, the horizontal one by all means they're plenty big but that vertical window is what provides you that great hunt ability if you do elevate it.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about it, bow hunting has enough challenges that it is without having to fight what you're trying to shoot out of. Um, so by having that option, you've taken one more option or, or element out of it and made it easier for you to be able to to be successful.
2: Well, you know, when our heart is beating and we are out there and, and we finally have succeeded, as I said in one of our earlier conversations, I've succeeded once I beat that deer or or beat that turkey. I, I've, I've progressed, I guess, far enough that I'm not so worried about my kill shot or the making the kill is I have beat you at this game. And when your heart's pounding away like that, the last thing that you want to do is introduce a too compact environment or a window configuration that's not conducive to that hunting. So now all of a sudden we've gone from my heart's beating through my ears, and now I got to be a contortionist, where maybe I have to squat rather than stand upright and shoot. Maybe I have to you know raise up higher on the chair than I normally shoot, or maybe I've got to lean forward and try to make the shot. And we're starting to add all these elements in that is it's, it's a recipe for disaster.
0: Yeah, because anything can go wrong, will go wrong mm-hmm. with a bow in your hand a lot of times.
2: Yeah. it's. it's
0: but that's it's, what it's makes no it exciting. Idea. That's why you want to go back and do it again, uh, or does for me anyway. It adds that extra element of difficulty that, you know, that that's what adds the, the extra allure to it to... To make me want to keep going back and and putting the time in and trying to to like you say to be able to outsmart or outfigure and get one within bow range, shooting one at two hundred yards, yes, I mean that's a that's a great accomplishment, you know. However, you got to get it, get it. Uh, but I, I'm like you on that. If I can get one within bow range, then I've done something a little extra special that not everybody else can do.
2: Well, and that's it, and that's why as bow hunters, you know, we we hold that true to our heart. Uh, it, it's a selfish stance, you know, because I can promise you, I got invited on a hunt with Primos, and I killed I killed my elk with uh, my bow, and I was able to buy a gun tag for antelope hunting. And I'm sitting there going, my goodness, there's antelope everywhere, you know. Brad's going to give me his rifle. We're going to go out there and film my my gun hunt, and I I. I I executed it okay. I made a shot. The antelope went down immediately. One shot. It was wonderful. But I ranged this antelope at 284 yards, and Brad gave me his rifle, and he's like, you tell you what, you know, hold the crosshairs just a little bit high on his lungs and levity. And I, I took the trigger stick, and this is a, a 3 prong trigger stick, and I, I set my, my gun down on it. And I was breathing so hard with the animal out there, 284 yards. You'd have thought I was sitting on a water hole 15 yards away from this antelope. (laughs) And, and all of a sudden my crosshairs are moving all over. And, you know, I, I reached up there and I backed the magnification down because, you know, it was, it was accentuating my hard breathing as it is. So I will never dismiss, like you said, that, that 200 to 300 yard shot because you have to pull that off as well. And it's one of those things, but it's just that I've got something here, 40 yards and under, I'm getting ready. Once I start to pick up my bow, my heart is going crazy, all right? You know, I, watching it come in, I'm pretty cool. But once I go to reach for my bow, I put my hand around my bow, my heart just starts pounding. And the last thing that you want happened once you have beat that animal Is, uh, not to screw it up on, on introducing a variable that you've never practiced with. That's a great point too that you were talking about, Jeremy, and I'm, I'm just rambling here. When you're going to hunt out of a blind, sit in that blind, sit in the same chair you would hunt with, turn that, turn your chair sideways and shoot across your chest like you would normally do at a 3D shoot and practice that and practice that. Move your, move your target 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 yards away. I love shooting longer range so that when time comes, that 20- and 30-yard shot feels like a chip shot. But most people will go, I'll practice in my backyard, just, I'll follow your instructions, Beamer, I'll shoot 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, but I know I'm only going to kill 20, and then they throw their blind up and they shoot at 10, 15, and 20 yards. Well, what happens if that deer shows up and he's 35 yards away and you've never made that shot out of that blind before? Chances are you're going to fail. You've never succeeded on this. You've never practiced a winning situation. And and that's where I shoot long distance. I love shooting long distance. I don't want to hunt animals at that distance. But I want to promise you that I shoot so much at 60, 70, 80 yards and farther that if an animal comes out at 40 in my head, I'm thinking he's dead. And it, it's just one of those things. So practice what you're going to have to execute, and, and even play that outside the box even more.
0: Well, Beamer, I know we've all had that situation where you take that shot, you're comfortable with the shot, everything looks right, and you miss that tree limb that just happened to be in the perfect spot where you needed to hit <laughs> Yep. And you either hear the thwack or the thwang where it either hits solid or it ricochets off and you don't find that error ever again.
2: Uh huh. And, and, and thank you for, I, I, that's why I live by the video camera. And you guys were talking about it last week or the week before that if it came down to me getting a shot and videotaping it or my videotaping, I'm going to probably take the shot. That's one of the benefits to. The situation I'm in is I will always film things and I can't shoot it off. So I have that ability to go back and watch that frame by frame. And I'm going to say, oh, my arrow hit this twig, kicked it off. Okay, you know, no wonder I can't find blood. No wonder I can't find that animal or can't find that arrow. And it's kind of nice to have that evidence to run that by. But no matter what, if if you, you know, if if Murphy's Law can happen, it will happen to a bow hunter. I'll be the first to tell you, I was on a hunt in Nebraska with First Johnson and we were walking out to the blind and deer were run there chasing those everywhere, we weren't not to the blind. And, uh, a buck came by, smaller buck, a little six point, but you know, back then anything that was in focus and legal was in trouble. That was our motto. And I, I drew back on this and he was at like 33 yards or something like that. And there was this one horizontal stick between us and him. And I'm like, I tell you what, I put my pin on him. I know my you know, the Arcus, you know, the flight of the era, the arc of the era. I'm like, I'm going to drill this thing. I'm going to put my pin right on this stick, let it eat, and it's going to fall right over I, Boom! Yeah, I smacked that stick. I, I made a perfectly executed shot. You know, if you put your pin on that stick, occasionally you will hit that stick. So, it was, it was nice. I dare love to tell about it.
0: Well, Keith, I have a question. Now, this doesn't have anything to do with the ground blinds, but do you shoot pins Do you shoot a movable pin? How do you... What is your setup on your bow?
2: My setup on my bow, um, I shoot sword sights. SWR, do you like sword, like sword fighting? Um, I shoot sword sights, and I shoot a 3-pin adjustable. So I have fixed 20, 30, 40. Okay? So that just stays locked in place. I'm hunting 20, 30, and 40 there. But it also has the target adjustment that I can simply lower or raise uh, my my sight housing, and as I lower it, I can stretch out far of the yardages, and I just shoot the bottom pin then. So when I'm hunting, it's it's locked on the top lock, okay? It's on 20, 30, and 40. If I'm practicing, I can take that 40-yard pin, the third pin, and I can drop the whole sight housing because it's adjustable. I can drop that all the way down 70, 80, 90 yards to shoot that bottom pin uh, at those longer distances. Now, where that's really, really an advantage, um, I don't necessarily like one-pin sights. I have a terrible, sick feeling in my gut still to this day. Shot a turkey. I shoot a one-pin adjustable sight. Shot a turkey right through the head. And she's flopping out there. I might have told this story. And Brooks and I were sitting there. We were all excited. And one of the largest whitetail I've ever seen in my life. come busting out of the Russian olive to see what was flopping. It was, like November 10th, like straight right in the middle of Rutten, Nebraska. Come just crashing out of the Russian off and just standing there looking at this turkey flopping. And I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm looking and I'm looking and I'm like, Brooks, you on him. I knock another arrow and that, that deer walks back a little bit. And he cuts back through the Russian. He's going to come out again. He's going to come out a little bit farther. I didn't think about yards. I didn't think about adjusting my sight. You know, I shot this turkey at like 12 yards, you know, so I had it moved up to the 20 yard pin and the, here's this beautiful buck. He's in the 70s. You know, he's a 170 inch deer. And he comes out of that Russian owls again, back there a little farther. After he got, you know, just he, he spotted it was a turkey, and they went up, and they started coming out again. I was as relaxed as could be. Drew back, put that pin right on his ten ring, pulled the trigger, and I hit about two and a half feet low. And <laughs> I ranged it, and after I made the shot, he was 38 yards away. And I never had moved that one pin from that, that shooting that turkey. And to that day, I would never shoot a single pin adjustable sight again. Um, I love the three pins. I love the HHAs. I love sword sights. You know, Rod and I are great friends and I've shot their sights a lot. They're probably the finest machine sights, uh, on the planet. And it's really nice to have that 20, 30, and 40 lock. You know, they're, they're, they're right here. And if I want to screw around, shoot longer yardages, or I have an animal that I'm going to shoot longer than that, um, I simply make that adjustment, shoot the bottom pin.
0: Well, I know on mine, I have a 20, 30, 40, 50 yard pin. I've got four on mine. And I really try never to ever shoot over the 50. And if I do, I just put the 50 a little higher. But my 20 and 30 pin, there's so much difference in that 10 yards. You know, now 20 and 40 is a lot of difference, but it's not, you know, if you're shooting at bullseye on the target, you're talking about hitting the top of the bullseye to hitting the bottom of the bullseye. You're you're a two inch, you know, maybe drop. So a lot of times I just shoot the same pin, anything 30 and under and anything 30 and over, I just bump them, you know, bump up. But there, there's not a whole lot of difference there.
2: Well, my, my guess is, how tall are you? You're lanky, six aren't one. you are lanky are you
0: Six, okay. one. i I've got a 30-inch draw on mine.
2: Yeah, so you're shooting a power stroke that, that is much greater than me. You know, I'm 5'9", five, 5'10", five, I shoot 28-inch draw length, and I shoot a real heavy arrow. So um, I shoot a 550-grain arrow setup. Most people shoot 400, 380, 425, something like that. And, you know, I'm shooting an extra 100 grains, but I believe in super quiet bows, and I believe in having that KE that'll punch through things. I love that. But with that being said, I have big gaps between my pins, so I can't go out there and go, my 20 really is the same as my 30. And the only time I really need to make an adjustment is maybe 35 and beyond, where I can sit there at 10 yards, shoot my that 30-yard pin, all the way out to 34 yards, let's say, is one pin. And these guys are shooting these blistering fast bows and, and with arrow setups to match. You can do that. You know, it, it's one of those things. But I know my heavy arrow, uh, especially long range, is carrying a lot more KE downrange than a super light arrow that, that takes off flying at 340 feet or 350 feet a second. Um, I might be shooting 260, but my KE at 30 yards will dominate theirs. You know, they, they they run out of giddy up.
0: Now, Beamer, for for all of our listeners that aren't avid bow hunters, tell them what the KE is.
2: KE is kinetic energy. And there's a formula out there, I believe, and don't hold me to this because I'm not staring at it right now. It's it's speed squared. So you take speed times speed uh, times your grain weight, and you're going to divide that by 450,240. And that's going to give you KE, kinetic energy. So if your bow is shooting. You're shooting 70 pounds through it, and you are shooting 300 feet a second, and you shoot a 400 you know, grain thing. You're probably going to be shooting 70 pounds of kinetic energy out of the 70 pound bow. You're going to be 100% efficient. The new bows are that efficient, you know. But what happens if you're like me and you're getting older and you want to shoot 62 pounds instead of 70? Maybe you want to shoot, you know, 60 pounds. Well, there's there's a couple different ways we can go to a lighter arrow because it's speed squared, times your grain weight. Um, so by squaring my speed, if I go up to a faster arrow, it actually shows great kinetic energy. So I could can, I can lower my my weight on my arrow shoot faster, and I'll still get that out-of-bow kinetic energy. But let's talk downrange. You know, all of a sudden, my bow hasn't really slowed down very much at 30 and 40, whereas the blistering fast one has. And so I'm going to start seeing that so, Kinetic energy, if you can think about it, it's like you have a car hitting the brick wall super fast, okay? Car's going to pile up. You take a freight train and you hit that same wall and it's going super slow, right? It's going 5, 10, 15 miles an hour. Well, it's going to fold that train up and push it through that wall. So that's the way I always think about it. And momentum's a whole different thing to discuss sometimes. But KE, if you look it up, it's very easy to figure out your kinetic energy, but it's also going to give you a good representation of how efficient your bow and your arrow setup is. So it's kind of a neat thing to know.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, I know mine has changed over the years, swapping, still shooting same poundage on bows, but different bows shoot at different speeds, even at same poundage. But when we went from aluminum arrows to what you know the carbon arrows that we shoot now, used to shoot a land shark broadhead with a aluminum arrow, and I don't remember the the diameter or the numbers on the aluminum arrow, but you heard a thwack when it hit. I mean, when you when you hit a deer, it was a solid thwack, and now it's more of a you know just a you barely hear it even hit, and it's yeah, it's like well. Um, I'm not sure if I'm doing better or doing worse. Uh, cause them old land shark broadheads, they were, they were something, but you were shooting 150, 175 grain to now, you know, a lot <laughs> of the things that we back down to, I shoot a hundred grain. Uh, and I'm really, yeah. I'm really interested. The, the broadheads that y'all, you know, you have at NAP, the ones you sent us a while back. I'm, I'm really curious to see what they do to a hog and a deer this year oh, those
2: that's DK-4s I sent you guys will just annihilate them. But, you know, you're you're talking about a change in bows. You're talking a change in cams. You're talking a change in limb structure, you know, from fiberglass to carbon fiber to whatever. But you're also talking about the diameter of the arrows. And so now you're into a whole different podcast, you know, where we talk to the people or you get people to write in and tell us what diameter because the thinner carbon arrows um, penetrate better. You know, there's less resistance, you know, so you take that into effect. So once it hits, you know, the neat thing about an animal compared to a 3D target, an animal, the blood is a lubricant, right? So if we hit the right spot, it's going through it. You know, you start hitting fatty tissue or guts or something like that, and you stop that KE of that arrow. You know, it can only push it so far. Smaller carbon arrows penetrate better. So it's just one of those things. And then you got to, you know, you like this to that. It's just a personal preference, but carbon arrows have helped the, the shape of broadheads technology has helped. And of course, bow development has been astronomical in the last 15 years.
0: Well, Beamer, look, uh, I know this is a topic we could talk about for, for two or three episodes, but we're, we're coming down to the end of this one. Now we've ended each episode with a, Luckiest man alive. Do you have a uh, do you have a story to end this one out with today?
2: Well, let me think here. Just um, I'm gonna have you and Jeremy talk for one <laughs> second about something. I'm gonna ponder. You know some some of the stories that I have, you can't really share with people. So let me let me ponder just well, give, me a, give me give well, me give me one you, minute. Well, I tell you what, Paul. Oh, you may you may know this.
1: Um, 22 years ago. Paul and I, being from Liberty, Mississippi, Oh do you know what great, um, I guess, Liberty, Mississippi icon passed away twenty-two that twenty-two years ago?
0: Twenty-two years ago, what great Liberty
1: icon? Come on now,
2: Jerry Clower.
0: Has it been that long?
2: Twenty-two Eight? years ago. Adel, that. Budel, Claudel, Marcel, Eugene, and Cleotis. I I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Remember, it,
1: I don't even think I could get all that out.
0: No, and he I, spit it out like he was reading it off of uh, a yeah. sheet in front of him. You know, I guess I hadn't realized like, it's been quite that long. Yeah, I guess that would have been 98, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I, today, which I know this is going to air probably a month after we record it, but... Uh, today, 22 years ago, Jerry Clower passed away. I tell you what, instead of a luckiest man alive, Beamer, what is your favorite, um,
2: Jerry Clower story? Which, which one? Yeah. Which one exactly.
0: I know mine.
2: I, I <laughs> and, and, and I'm going off a of memory and I love comedians. So if I, if I screw this up, I apologize. And the only reason I remember is that statement of all the kids was my father listened to jerry all the time and i remember the one about the garbage disposal and the one about the lady calling about a pet or a pest and she was reporting this funny sound blah 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 and as he tells it because nobody could tell stories like jerry did. and you know he gets in <laughs> oh he's going on and, and you know this person went over and called the repair man, and he got over there and all it was was the garbage disposal, and this lady was explaining how she had this, you know, demon underneath her sink, and, you know, in this trailer park, and, and every time that she came in and turned this this light switch on, you know, there was this, rah, 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 you know, animal under <laughs> there, and it, it, I, I remember being, like, 15 years old and, and laughing out loud, and you know, it was one of those things, and Jerry was always clean, and it was always very comical, and and I, I really remember that, and I, I remember my uh, dad listening to it, and you know that Adele, Beudel, Claudel, and Marcel, Eugenia, Cleos and or Cletus and uh it was just it was priceless so I- I'll tip my hat to that that's the story I have if you look it up go into Jerry Clower at the garbage disposal I- I'm certain it was him not a different comedian and it was so funny it hurt me <laughs> oh
0: what is yours always oh, got to be shoot up amongst us one of us has got yeah. to have some relief
1: yeah I was gonna say that I mean that was just uh that was always stuck with me through the years And I'll tell you that one and the, uh, and the new bull, the new bull, that was a, uh, that was a good one too. I mean, just, just amongst all, and I catch myself, you know, I, I'm on the road a pretty good bit. I just go on, go online and throw, uh, throw Jerry Clower on. And before you know it, a two and a half, three hour drive seemed like 10 minutes went by, but oh, yep. 22 years ago.
0: Well, you uh, may have Jerry just, Clower. you may have just decided what I'm doing for the rest of this evening. I may have to go back and. <laughs> Pull up some old, uh, pull up some old stuff and and sit there and listen. I, I know I've got a little about an hour drive here ahead of me in just a little bit, so that that may be there exactly what I do this evening instead of listening to our podcast again. There you yeah.
1: go. Well, guys, good episode, Beamer. I guess we're gonna go ahead and, uh, and wrap it on up, man. But,
2: that sounds uh, good
1: to me. We'll catch up with you next week. And, cool. man, be safe on your drive. And everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Outdoor Country Talk. God bless. You.
2: God
1: God bless. Well, ain't nothing like a Southern night. Lord, to make you feel all right, I got the wind is dying. I got the radio. I'm on.